Are your class sizes mysteriously ballooning? Are you tired of walking from one end of the lecture hall to the other? Or from one campus to another? Is it impossible to find time to grade? From the creators of Course Hero, a revolutionary new classroom technology. Godium, the podium that lets you lecture on the go. Convey the superiority of the sage on the stage with the mobility of the guide on the side. With space to hold a laptop, textbook, and optional plexiglass COVID barrier. Zero turning radius allows for steering seamlessly between backpack straps and charging cords. The whisper quiet motor means you can sneak up on the student using chat GPT in the back of the class. In addition to classroom mode, there's also autonomous mode. Simply input your GPS coordinates, and Godium will take you where you need to go at a blistering speed of 4.5 miles per hour. Grade papers uninterrupted during your commute. How else are you going to do the work of two full-time professors? Ask your administrator if Godium is right for you. Rental options available for contingent faculty members. Do not use Godium while intoxicated. Only use Godium with IRB approval. In rare instances, whiplash, injury, death, or exploitation may occur. AI grading software, heat-seeking, plagiarism detection, and cup holders. Available at additional cost in the tenure upgrade package. We're TC Talk, a TechCom podcast. My name is Benton. My name is Abby. I am a TechCom prof. I am not. But we chat about things that are of interest to technical communication scholars, practitioners, and maybe just everyday people. I hope so. Who encounter and use TechCom in their everyday lives and perhaps even create it without knowing that that's what it is. Benton, it's our last episode of season two of TC Talk. Last one? And I thought it would be fruitful to revisit the topic of how to read. You'll remember that was our first episode of all time. Yes. And it had gotten more listens than most, which could just be the fact that it was the first one. And when people discover a podcast, they like to go back to the beginning. List order bias. Although there's nothing really chronological about our topics. True. But it could also be that this is a topic that people care about. So assuming that's the case, I will forge ahead. I did go back to that episode to kind of see what my baseline was. And it was cringe, Mm. as the kids say. But in looking back, I can see that just taking that moment to talk about it and be intentional about my reading goals and habits, etc. I am in a totally different place than I was then. Uh, How about you? If you can even remember. I remember it was upstairs and now we're downstairs. So that's a totally different place, too. How long ago was that? Two years. Summer 2021. Mm. Because I was starting my sabbatical and, you know, the pandemic kind of pushed us into podcasting. Well, not really. It just Hmm. seemed like the thing to do. I think everyone else had the same idea, but hey... We've kept it up for two years. That's true. I credit you with the determination and follow-through to keep that going. 
Because <laughs> I just show up when you ask me. Right. But reading-wise, do you, do you think anything has changed for you in the past couple of years? Um, I tend towards a little bit more nonfiction now, I think. That doesn't mean that I'm uninterested in fiction. I do love blitzing through a good novel. I think everything you read has to do with climate, one way or another. The thing is, everything everyone reads has to do with climate, one way or another. Every part of society boils down to carbon. It does. Well, I guess books are printed from trees, right? Yes. And even screens are surely not carbon zero. Right. Yeah, so I think your reading is pretty focused. You've got a niche that you like. I feel like I've been more adventurous with my reading. By adventurous, I just mean diverse, perhaps, hmm. in terms of genre and format. Maybe. Now, on to reading for fun. Oh, boy. And yes, I know some of you find scholarly reading fun. I do, too. But I'm talking about something that is for you and not for... Not for professional Purposes of tenure and promotion or whatever because like i mentioned before as soon as you're obligated to do something it takes a, it takes away a little bit of the right. ability to enjoy it at least mm -hmm. for me yeah i think that if someone had laid out all the non-fictions that i have read and said read these i'd be like those are such big books and it literally could have been a <laughs> syllabus for like a environmental mm -hmm. communication class or whatever well, probably so I asked a few people about this, colleagues, friends, students, just to get some perspective on how other people fit leisure reading into their busy lives, because mm. I can sit here and talk about, here's what I do, but I mean, that only works for me a fraction of the time anyway, Yeah. Um, and it evolves a lot. So I think it would be more useful for listeners to kind of hear that variety. Yeah. In contrast, I won't make fun of my coworkers, but uh, one of them attempted to insult me because I read I read books and we're not doing things in the truck, just as my fallback thing instead of you know dinking around on my phone all the time. Insult? What did he say? So he he said, "You're such a librarian." Oh, I would take that as a compliment. You have to imagine, too, like, certainly someone who's going to listen to this podcast is not going to be like, books are dumb. But um, he he said that he, had, he hadn't read a book since high school. Oh, no. Which is mind-blowing to me. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Okay, people you know? are allowed to care about different things. They certainly are, but... And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But, um, yeah... I mean, that's right up there with one of your teachers calling you an intellectual tyrannosaur, is it not? What grade was that? That was in uh, 11th grade for correctly identifying Macedonia on a map. Oh, wow. I did do one of those, like, can you identify the European country quizzes. Mm -hmm. And I, man. Didn't do well? No. How long ago was that? Oh, just a few weeks ago when mm. I couldn't sleep one night. I was like... I mean, the 50 states, I've got that nailed. I thought, let's okay. try Europe. Nope. <laughs> so what did you find? So I looked through the responses for trends. 
Because I can't resist turning everything into a qualitative study. Ah, you. But here's the first thing I want to say. You don't have to read. You don't have to read for fun. You are not a better or worse human for having a regular reading habit or not. Give three supporting details. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) One thing that came up in the responses with that was that it is hard to read. It is hard to find time to read. Kelly said, It took me a while after grad school to get into a reading routine. I felt like I didn't have any space left in my brain, not to mention time for more reading outside of what I do for work. Joseph said, In my first master's, I learned that the academic setting is where reading for fun goes to die. (laughs) The studying and the work of research, office assistant, and teaching writing, complete with grading, made reading become my job, and I lost track of reading for fun. I was a sci-fi fantasy nerd up to that point, but after reading for work all day, I lost the desire. When I graduated that MS, my program chair gave me a Barnes & Noble card. I actually wept. I was so ashamed that I had not read a book in over 18 months except for school. I immediately purchased Dies of the Fire by S.M. Sterling and read the series. Pretty good, by the way. Is that the one with... um... It's the Emberverse, the one where... Electricity and explosions both stop. What's the one that you read with the annoying main guy? <laughs> the self-important um, magic one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Okay, not the same. Yeah, a guy who should really get the fuck off his ass and finish writing that trilogy. <laughs> Write two books and then... Yeah. Dither. Okay. And Matt says, I will confess that is a perennial struggle. Ever since grad school, the amount of reading that I do that is connected to my academic work means that pleasure reading often gets pushed to the margins of my free time. Furthermore, the fact that so much of my job as a film studies professor is tied to viewing means that often my free time is taken up by watching movies that broadly align with my overall academic goals and responsibilities. In short, leisure reading has been one of those things that I continually try to reprioritize in my life, but have had mixed success. These professors are all talking about seasons in their life that leisure reading has been a struggle. Mm-hmm. And my, again, my response to that is, that's okay. You don't have to read for fun. Because I needed someone to tell me that, like, my first year as an assistant professor. You may recall, I worked every single weekend. I never felt caught up. Like, on top of feeling like I was barely surviving, I also felt guilty for having such a shitty work-life balance, you know? (laughs) So it's like Mm -hmm. guilt compounded upon guilt. But it was a season. It didn't last. Right. I'm not working every weekend. No. Um, I'm glad. And so if you're in a place where you're just trying to stay above water, don't add in something that feels like a chore because you think you're supposed to. Right. Because you think that's what makes you a worthwhile human being. Yeah, that that goes beyond reading. Yes. I have friends with newborns. Like... Your hobbies become taking a nap. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a lion's spot of mine because your experience and a lot of academic and desk-driving professionals... <laughs> Desk driving? Like working at a desk. Is that a saying, desk driving? 
I mean... Because here's what it makes me think of. Melissa McCarthy playing... <laughs> Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer on <laughs> SNL with the podium on the Segway. The Segway podium, yes. That was epic, and you better put a link to the, the YouTube video in right. the show notes. I mean, can you imagine having that in your classroom? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to record a, a fake promo at this point for a for Segway Podium. <laughs> okay, I like this project. I totally interrupted you. Desk driving professions. Yes. So people who have to do like a substantial amount of reading that is a regular part of their job. Knowledge workers. Mm-hmm. I can see how that would make it very hard to want to do that leisurely. Kind of like how I'm less inclined now to just go for a walk when we're at home. Because I'm outside 10 hours a day. (laughs) Yeah, no joke. Everyone needs a balance of focused and unfocused time. Hmm. And that, that balance, of course, is dependent on the person. But you need both to have a healthy brain. And I spend a fair amount of my workday observing, for safety purposes, the other, or my coworker who is flying the boom to make sure that they don't accidentally fly it into a power line, because that's a bad day. So, sort of an environmental awareness. Yes. Being present, but there's lots of space for your mind to wander, versus if I am reading a book. You have experienced, like, especially when it's time to get the kids ready for bed. Um, If I am reading a book, that is the world. Hmm. That is the entirety of the world. I am focused on this book, reading the text, understanding it. Okay. So you need the balance. And if you're, like, if you're looking through reports and you're, like, thinking about how do I write this report that's very focus-centric... And it's not very scatter focus or diffuse focus. Right. Kind and I of think work. and I think reading is the kind of activity that has such range within it that even if you are parsing theory all day, mm-hmm. like you can go home and read a murder book. Which I do. Earlier this year I had a bunch of deadlines kind of bunched up. And then as soon as I had all that behind me, I was like, Murder books. And they were bad books. <laughs> I I sat there and I told you the plot and I was like I cannot believe this drivel and then I went on to read every page. Yeah. And I think that that's part of recognizing that you're a human being and you can't be on 24/7 and that you deserve space to blow off steam and read tasteless trash. Now, I will say that even if you don't choose to read, it is hugely important to be able to cultivate some kind of hobby outside of work, which I am embarrassed to say didn't happen for me until the pandemic. And, you know, we bought a piano and I learned it. Mm-hmm. And, and you learned how to podcast. Playing music is something that engages a different part of your brain and just to have something to care about that's not work or parenting was really important for me 
So I would encourage anyone who feels just too busy to just start with something. And at the same time, like if you're in a season where you can't, awesome. Don't do it. But the season shouldn't last forever. Maybe get ideas for how you're going to reward yourself for getting through to the promised land, you know? Or maybe you love watching movies or watching TV. In my mind, watching TV has always been the same as wasting time. (laughs) Or eating junk food. But I savor a good episode of TV. In part thanks to you. You talking about Stranger Things? Yes. Yeah. Um, which I wouldn't have watched were it not for your prompting. And yes, I'm years behind the curve on this. <laughs> as I am on most everything that's ever popular, because I'm like, oh, something's popular? Too cool. I must go against the flow. And then years later I discovered it and I'm like, oh, society's right. There's a reason this is great. So, yeah, and and to me, like, sitting and savoring a good episode of TV is not the same as mindlessly turning it on and vegging out. Though there, though there is space for that, too, of course. Mm-hmm. Same as scrolling TikTok, right? Yeah. I think the question is, how do you feel by the time you're done with it? Because for me, I look up and 45 minutes have gone by and I've been watching instagram reels or whatever and i couldn't tell you a single thing that i watched in the previous 45 minutes (laughs) yes i enjoyed myself while doing it but i have literally nothing to show for well no that's not true i bookmark the good animal videos that's true you do and then i share them with the family i do the same with memes on facebook one of these days i'm gonna i'm gonna barrage you with my folder o memes (laughs) i look forward to it Put them in a slideshow for me. Okay. Maybe you love gaming. Again, gaming has a bad rap, but I think it's a lot more active than other kinds of hobbies. It is intellectually stimulating. It can be, yeah. Um, You know, I'd rather my kid play Minecraft than just watch TV. But I would rather my kid watch just watch TV rather than you know, play Grand Theft Auto or something like that. That's true. Not all games are created equally. For young children, yes, indeed. And I think it's also completely fair to choose your reading based on your personal or professional goals. So this this comes from Lenny. For me, I typically read nonfiction books and books that will directly help me grow in a certain area I'm interested in. It's very rare you'll find me reading a fiction novel. I typically find myself looking for new books to read whenever I have a desire to grow, learn, or become something new, and I recognize that I lack the necessary knowledge to feel confident in that area. Reading books helps me chart a pathway through unknown worlds and identities that I want to claim for myself. And he talks about getting into ultra running. And how reading Oof. books was instrumental to him, you know, gaining some confidence in that area. Wow. And I, I totally get, get that. Like, in the past, when I've needed a boost to do something I know that I need to do or want to do, I think reading about it can, yeah. often, do, can often give me that boost. I feel like that specific thing, though, would feel very much like, maybe not assigned reading, but dutiful 
Yeah. Sort of. I guess one thing that comes to mind for me is if I'm feeling the urge to declutter or something, like uh, pick yeah. up a Marie Kondo or one of those books with all the beautiful color coordinated drawers and everything. And that's when I need to bolt things down <laughs> so they're there when I get home. What? <laughs> now, let's say you do want to be a reading person. You want that to be your hobby. You don't have to read what you think you're supposed to read. This is another thing that has been super hard for me to accept. Um, as an English major, and as someone who has generally valued being a smart person most of my life, I do have this platonic ideal of a reading list in my head mm -hmm. that has led to a lot of guilt when I'm not reading that important stuff. Do you ever see people put stuff like that on social media? Have I ever seen anybody pose with Plato's Republic for their high school senior picture? Okay, you got me. In your Hawaiian shirt, In no less. In my Hawaiian shirt. Um, At least you read a few paragraphs of it while you were... In while the was, library, yes. getting photographed. While I was waiting for the photographer to get set up there. Like, do we see people bragging about their reading on social media? Typically, or like, like... You have to read this book before you die. Like, most Americans have only read 10 off of this list of... Oh, yeah. I've read 23. The peer pressure kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as a canon. Well... <laughs> Tell that to the Civil War. I recall, this was one of my first college classes I ever took. And I wrote my paper on women in the canon and the lack thereof. And for my cover page, I used a photo of a woman in a literal canon. Very nice choice. Thank you. Okay, I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, our family had a subscription to Reader's Digest. And I... Remember reading an article, Laura Bush's top 25 books everyone needs to read in their lifetime, or something along those lines. And I put those books on my reading list. And so I'm like 12 and reading fucking Sophie's Choice. I don't know what that is. Oh, that sucks. When... As a kid, you're told that the definition of great literature is a book in which the narrator is just trying to get into a Holocaust victim's pants the whole time. Oh, wow. You know, maybe there are folks out there who are like, I love Sophie's Choice and it's a great literary achievement. Fine. But I have spent so many years trying to read uh, the classics. And, you know, at this point, I would say nine out of ten books I read is by a woman. And this is not me being anti-man. I'm simply making up for lost time, right? Yeah. I saw a terrible tweet that kind of encapsulated this attitude. I would 100% prefer my kid to be able to read and understand Moby Dick, but hate it and read rarely than to love reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And it's like frequently. A love of reading is nice, but it's not the goal of literary instruction. Wow. 
I mean, this guy should, got should... thoroughly dunked on. Oh, good. Yeah. I... That's like the, the nemesis in Ratatouille, who's, you know, super gaunt and says, I don't like food. I love it. He's a food critic. Oh, right. Who's... And he's very anti the uh, everyone can cook mm-hmm. cookbook author. Yes. yes. Someone who is regarded as an expert because they don't like the thing. You know what? Moby Dick is still on my platonic ideal reading list. Yeah. But I, I know I'm never going to read that book. Sure. Maybe this is a lack of imagination on my part, but I cannot imagine that there's anything I need to learn in life from a guy who is obsessed with murdering a whale. Yeah. I can't do any animal cruelty. People die in a book, no biggie. A dog dies, I'm out. Don't get me started on where the red fern grows. So there's there's so many things wrong with that attitude, especially towards childhood reading. Yet, I have noticed myself like needing to be aware of that and push back against it because Zoe loves graphic novels. And I don't know, there's part of me that feels like they're somehow less serious and I wish you would read like quote-unquote real books. But at the same time, graphic novels are a beautiful blend of the visual and the verbal. Yeah. And I, I'm i not wired that way. Mm-hmm. And I respect that Zoe is. Yeah. I know I have exactly that kind of an impulse. Like For me, it's more of a, it feels like a step towards watching the movie instead of reading the book. Mm. You know, it feels like cheating because we didn't have it in my day. Hmm. Uh, back in my day. You know you would have loved graphic novels if there had been a yeah. wide assortment for you. Did you read any comic books? Well, these aren't comic books per se, but you had a whole pile of Garfield books. Which, incidentally, did... Zoe loves, and I <laughs> blame that 90% on why she's such a smartass. <laughs> yeah, I should get her. I should get her Calvin and Hobbes now. I think she's ready. So all that to say, if you want to cultivate a reading habit, start with something that you love, no matter how unserious it may feel. Um, Start with a childhood favorite. I, you know, we read to our kids before bed every night and rereading my favorite childhood fantasy books with Zoe is like one of the best things in my life. Um, to like re-experience that and and experience her reaction to it too. Except she hates when we have to end. Every night. Every night it's like, no! Alright, we need to go. That's it for tonight. No! (laughs) One more page! Read a young adult novel. Read a book that's described as impossible to put down. Yeah. And this has worked for Matt as well. He says, I try to first return to the authors and types of writing that I find most pleasurable. I've always enjoyed literary fiction in particular and have attempted to at least somewhat keep up with a handful of authors who I've loved since high school. Zadie Smith in particular is an author who I've remained relatively good at staying current with. Um, Reread something that made you feel passionate about reading. Yeah. Or read an author that you know you're going to love. Yeah. If only to 
give yourself a strong start if you're trying to build a habit, right? You're not going to build a habit with Moby Dick. No. Maybe. Hopefully you don't build a whale-killing habit with Moby Dick. Yeah, I like sci-fi. I like sci-fi that is hard sci-fi, meaning the science is not the fiction. Jumping into a series that gets critical acclaim, or that is that has really good reviews on the back, mm-hmm. like when I started in the Expanse series, which is a nine-book series. They're big books, but they are page-turners to me. I can see the appeal of a series because you don't have to reacquaint yourself with the world and the characters every time. Hmm. I am not a big series reader. I kind of feel like if I'm going to read a book, it needs to be able to stand alone. Again, that might just be me making unfair judgments about books, but I also really like variety. And I feel like if I'm reading something in a series, like it's too, too much repetition. Get- Which boxcar children did you get to? Oh my gosh. With Zoe. I'm so glad that was you and not me. I would have torn my hair out. It was the 40s or 50s. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of repetition there. They like to play house. They like to cook. They like to do the same thing again and again. And they solve mysteries. Yeah. I will say the original Boxcar Children was one of the first chapter books because that was one of the first chapter books that my mom read with me. Oh. Yep. Same with Little House on the Prairie. Or, no. Little House in the Big Woods. Which, sadly... Is super racist? Uh, well, yes. It is super racist. But it's it's also a reinvention of history to make it seem very, you know, rugged individualist. Very self-reliant. There's all of this stuff that talks about how they keep their farm and how they... How they provide all their own needs, hmm. and that is not the way that frontier life was. Hmm. So you're telling me Laura Ingalls had an agenda? Yeah. I need. I'm going to need a source for this one. Jeez, which podcast was it? One of the things that I really did appreciate about those books, the first one and the second one, Farm Boy. Oh yeah. They give a very like up close understanding of. Pre-industrial skills, which is really just the way that people lived 150 years ago. And the way we'll have to learn to live when the climate apocalypse descends upon our world? Well, that too. Okay. But, I mean, just the process of how a shoe was made. You know, they talk about how they made nice rows for their potato plants by uh, dragging a board with nails in it this way and then the other way Mm. and then made little mounds for it where the lions came together. And And I tell you what, I will never forget the pig bladder balloon from Little House in the Big Woods. Apparently you forgot about it. Yeah. Anyway, that would be my first tip. Find something you love. Number two, accountability. And this can include accountability to yourself in the form of setting goals and kind of tracking your progress. But one thing that has been a really good jumpstart to my reading in the past year or so is doing a book club with a group of friends. Hmm. You know, we take turns choosing a book. And so that has opened me up to 
genres and topics that I may not have chosen on my own, hmm. but that I've really enjoyed and have kind of like set me on a path to appreciating other books. And even if I don't enjoy a book, then it's nice to have people to complain about it with, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing, and thanks again to Lindsay for introducing me to this, is an app called Storygraph. Mm. And Kelly uses this too. She says, I keep myself accountable to reading a certain number of books per year by tracking my progress on Goodreads and the Storygraph. I especially like the Storygraph because it keeps track of different stats, like how many books I read in each format and each book's mood. And from those stats, it gives pretty good recommendations for what to read next. Here. Have I showed it to you yet? I don't know that you have. Check this out. Data displays. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, how could I not? Pie charts, bar charts, line charts. So it's got like a progress bar for my... How my, many books My numeric book goal, I guess. And then it kind of takes the data from the books that you've inputted and you can see well i'll let you interpret it what does this say about me as a reader it says that you like books that make you feel reflective and emotional those are your two biggest moods in the pie chart pace that you read at page numbers 63 percent fiction which was not the case two years ago for right. sure that's a major shift in my reading life hmm. this is a little bit funny what the uh books read and it's got the rest of the year that hasn't happened yet and it's it's like hey you're doing great and then it flatlines at june yep <laughs> so you've got what, five books out here that are thriller memoir history historical so those are kind of my top categories yep. but you'll notice there's a bunch of categories mm -hmm. for genre yeah. Which I like because I like a lot of different things. Yeah. So this is anonymous. No one's going to be able to find me on here, right? This is largely for myself, but mm -hmm. I still, you know, have this ghost of a English literature professor telling me I should have more classics on here or Yeah. Why is murder books at the top, you know? Um You're killing it. <laughs> there, see? There. Landed a joke. <laughs> um, the self-tracking part, I, I just started using it this year. And I don't know if it is inspiring me to read more or if I just wasn't paying attention to how much I was reading previously. But it's fun to have a better handle on that, largely because it's helping me think about the books I want to read through a better filter than just genre. Hmm. Here's what I mean by that. There are stats. Like, so when you review a book, you can review it for things like, is it more character-driven or more plot-driven? Hmm. Is it more fast-paced or medium-paced? Is it, does it have likable characters? Stuff like that. But those lenses can be more informative than just, you like to read sci-fi. Um, <laughs> I'll give you an example. So two of my favorite genres are sci-fi and historical fiction, which on the surface, they, they seem like total opposites. Future and past. Largely. 
So anyway, I'm I'm like, is there a common thread here that explains why I like these books beyond just they fall under this category? And I realized that when I'm reading sci-fi, I'm not reading it for the science or the technology or the futurism. What I like about sci-fi is how it sets a stage for ethical and philosophical questions. I like that too. That's really the calling, the purpose mm. of sci-fi is to get you to not realize at first that it's talking about right now. Right. I think the the technology isn't a turnoff for me, though, if it's not super realistic or hard, as you say. If it isn't too... Meaning, I can see you reading a book and being like, this is so unrealistic. This is not how physics works, or something like that, and that being ah, a turnoff to you. Turning, yes. So I discovered there's this subgenre of philosophical sci-fi, and I'm like, that's where I'm at. I heard the creators of The Expanse talk about how they actually, you know, from book to book, they were able to play with different types of books that they were writing. Like, the first one was, was a noir. Hmm. You know, it was a, it was a crime novel. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is more of a political intrigue kind of book. Each one has a, has a different feel with the same characters. Yeah. And then when it comes to historical fiction, I like books that are set in wartime. And I don't actually like war. I mean, I don't, I don't care a whit about military strategy. I played too many strategy games to not... <laughs> It's baked in at this point. I gave it a good shake. I tried set, I tried playing uh, Axis and Allies with you. You tried, yes. I would have literally had more fun with you, an Excel spreadsheet. You made it through being Russia on Russia's first turn. And after that, you were like, I'm done. What I care about is the motives, the personalities. And it, with Axis and Allies, it, you know... None of that. Right. It's just like... <clears throat> How many kinds of this battleship are you going to put in this atoll? Strategic and tactical. Books set in the time of Nazi-occupied Europe, in particular, I feel do a great job of kind of tearing away the superfluous. What am I trying to say? It centers on genuine moral dilemmas. And I, I like reading about people navigating that like you and i were talking about Anne frank not too long ago Mm. and like i was saying it's like living out the trolley problem on a daily basis yeah which we have the luxury of viewing from a distance right unless you're chidi anagonye that's true um but there's that question how would i respond in this situation in a world where there's no good answer how do you survive? That specifically is one of the things that that quandary is why post-apocalyptic uh, media very much appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Because after an apocalypse, there is no good answer for anything. <laughs> put, put people in a survival situation and you see a whole new side. Also, in Storygraph, there are reading challenges which you can sign up for. So I'm doing A to Z book titles. Which is sort of a secondary goal for me right now um, compared to 
Like what I do want to do is read X number of books in a year. But having like that alphabet challenge can kind of nudge one book higher on the read next list for me. You know, I'm going to put this title next in the queue. Yeah. Which, incidentally, I do need a queue book. Quiet. Oh, right. In praise of introverts, right? And we're back. And we're back. I just spilled a full cup of coffee onto the keyboard, onto the floor, onto my clothes, onto the wall, etc. It may have splattered the microphone. And it was a special coffee, too. It had whipped cream on it. Salted caramel whipped cream. Yeah. Alas. This is not even the first time this week this has happened. Maybe it's just that you have a bowl with a handle for a coffee mug. (laughs) Where were we? My next tip is to mix up the format. I have gotten so many suggestions to try audiobooks that I finally gave in and tried it. I've listened to one. That experience was not enough to convert me. But I can see the appeal. I think the main problem for me is that listening to audiobooks would take up the time that I use to listen to podcasts, and I love podcasts too much. Yeah. I don't have 130 subscribed podcasts like you do. I don't listen to every single one. I just like having choice. That's actually a really great way to make use of a commute. If you aren't listening to either a podcast or an audiobook while you're driving somewhere, I feel for you. You ever heard of music? Uh, what is this thing you speak of? For me, I can't sit and listen. If I'm going to sit and read, then holding a book feels more active, I guess. So I would save my my listening for driving or dishes or something. Or when you just want to lay down and close your eyes. That's right. I do, you do that a listen lot. to podcasts a lot to fall asleep when you're not reading Ursula Le Guin to me. Yeah. So don't take it from me. I'm not enough of an audiobook enthusiast to tell you why you should do it. But Joseph says, in my second master's, I started adding audiobooks so I could read during my commute. In my PhD, I would use the Read to Me feature from Kindle, and the Adobe Reader read out loud to accompany texts I was reading for school, so it was only natural that I would continue this into my reading for fun. Now that I'm working full-time, I've purchased a program called Text Aloud, and I can turn any text into a computer-read MP3. The voices are getting better, and I find that it's cheaper than buying audiobooks. So I've been buying the books on PDF, converting them to MP3s, and then reading as I listen. I think it helps retention and pacing. And Kelly says, about 80% of the books I read are on audio. I listen while I get ready in the morning, drive, cook, clean, etc. I will say this, a barrier to me adopting audiobooks is that I thought I needed to buy a subscription to Audible. And I was like, I don't know enough whether this is going to be worth it for me to make that investment. But you can check out audiobooks and ebooks from your local library. Not um, available in all areas. Probably. Yeah. Libby is what is what that's called. And it actually has an amazing selection. Do they have an app? Yes. I, I actually oh. I have it on my phone and my iPad huh. because then I can pick up where I left off if I'm out and about and have some downtime and can just pull up my phone and keep reading. Yeah, that's really nice, too, is the syncing. And um, Lenny spoke of 
the distinction between podcasts and books, too, in a way that I identify with. He says, podcasts usually expose me to new questions and topics and help me learn by osmosis by just listening into the meandering dialogues of podcast hosts and guests. While books are usually more structured and coherent forms of knowledge with a clear thesis the author is putting forward. Both books and podcasts have their place for me. And I think that may be why I have a harder time dipping into audiobooks versus podcasts is because with most books there is that need to kind of follow the thread. Whereas with a podcast those feel more informal. My attention can kind of shift in and out and I won't feel like I've lost a major plot point that I'm going to have to go back and reread. You know what I mean? Have you tried ebooks? Audiobooks? I've done a few like, books on CD that I've checked out <laughs> from the library and, uh, you know, just fed them one after another into my car's CD player. Fun fact. My old car did not have a CD player. It had a cassette player. It did. And that was a selling point because along with the car, we also threw in all of your Weird Al cassette tapes. Yes. When we were selling that car. On Craigslist, yes. Mm -hmm. But the buyers said that piqued their interest. Did they not? I don't remember that. Maybe it just gave them a sense of there's a real person behind this. Who knows? Mm. So right now you should pause this podcast, go listen to the entire works of Weird Al. So you know what we're talking Which about. Which you have memorized? More or less. He only makes gold. I mean, he only remakes gold. Hey, so you have heard of music. Yes, I have heard of music. Some people prefer to watch The Daily Show to get their news. I prefer to listen to Weird Al do covers of music pop songs. Yeah. Because he makes it better. <laughs> You've seen him in person. I have. And he was a freaking dynamo on stage. <laughs> really? Which, it's, it's hard to imagine someone holding an accordion being a dynamo. But he certainly was. Okay. Would you ever try ebooks? What do you think of having a book loaded into your phone so that you could read it during a slow day? I'm not opposed to the idea. It would make it harder to rile up your right-wing co-workers. That's true. Your giant Greta Thunberg book sitting yeah. prominently out in the... Uh-huh. Your Bernie or sticker. On my car. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't have any problem with an e-book. I know that there's some uh, some benefits that it would have because, you know, there could actually be links to, like, if it referred back. You know what I really like about it is getting to look up words immediately. Oh. So I was just reading a book about the Middle Ages, and there was a lot of stuff I could have gathered from context, but it was also nice to, you know, mm -hmm. be like, what is a lintel? The thing that's... Above the door? Yes! Who needs an ebook when you've got you? And then the next kind of category of advice I got was about making it a habit by setting aside designated times to read. That was a common refrain. Mm. 
there is something to be said for establishing a habit because by definition, a habit kind of makes something automatic. And so if picking up a book feels like a chore to you or it feels like you're going to have to summon up your willpower every single day to get into it, it won't always be that hard. No. That was that was the experience for me. At first I did, right? Because it's infinitely easier and more compelling to scroll through your phone than to pick up a book. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I can fairly say that reaching for a book has been my go-to recently. Yeah. Matt says, I've tried to reserve certain times of the day for leisure reading, either in the morning before work or before bed. This means moving myself away from distraction phones, computers... And reading in a part of my apartment where I can physically detach from reminders of work, stress, etc. Lindsay says, I have found that leaving the phone charging in another room overnight has helped immensely. That way I read a book to unwind and get tired instead of scrolling. I also bought some bookmarks and a reading light that functions well. And funnily enough, it feels a little luxurious to use them. Which is adorable, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of goes along with the whole, I'm going to create a reading nook. Which... Honestly, I'm going to read on the couch or at the table or in the bed, like wherever I am anyway. So my beautiful, fluffy reading nook tends to go unused. What is that? In the office with the uh, oh, the chair in the corner with all the pillows and the 14 lamps. Yeah. Maybe I don't like reading there because it's associated with work. So maybe designate a reading spot. But then again, that can also feel like more pressure because you have to go to this out-of-the-way space and it feels harder to detach from everyday life. Whereas, and this was something that you suggested in our our first reading episode, is you have different books for different contexts, right? So you have Mm -hmm. like a dining room table book, and you've got a bedtime book, and you've got an everywhere book, and same is true for me. Yeah. What's your living room book right now? It's... The Climate Book by Greta Thunberg. I did want to say that one thing I like about that book is that it's like an edited collection. It's curated. It's curated, but you get to hear from experts about various aspects of a problem or a concept, and you don't have to track them all down. That's been done for you. Hmm. What would you think of like a short story anthology? Oh, yeah. A short story anthology. I've read a few of those. Sometimes a an author will make a collection of their own short mm-hmm. stories in a book. That's One Direction. Sorry, what were you saying? I was going to sing One Direction lyrics, but thought better of it. Thank you for not. You know, the anthologies of different writers in a similar genre are interesting because reading out of a bunch of different fictional worlds in short order, it like opens your mind up in a Hmm. way. And I imagine it would be useful for folks who can only do snippets of reading. For those who aren't prepared to just sit down with a Tolkien. I would consider it if there were a freaking glossary. An index. An index of... Names and places. Dramatis Personae looking for. Well, but I would also want... The page numbers that they are on. So oh. I can be like, okay, when was this person first introduced? I can't remember them. And every book should have a map. That is one thing that 
yes. Lord of the Rings excels in. Yes. If they did, I would know my European countries better than I do. <laughs> Timelines and geography, those are things that are easy to lose track of oh, in one setting. Oh, that would actually... Things like a timeline, you know, for a novel, you wouldn't want something where the whole timeline is instantly viewable because That's you would true. spoil it. That's true. But if you had a, you know, like an e-reader type thing where it unlocks parts of the timeline and you can oh, that's look a, back. That's a that fun idea. That would be fun. Copyrighted and trademarked. Anyway, it's easy to make it a habit before bed. Yep. As long as you're not reading stuff that's too thought-provoking or... Which often that happens to me, <laughs> but better that I be reading something than staying up, getting sucked into a Reddit argument. I don't argue on Reddit. I read other people's arguments. I'm here to say you're just someone with... is wrong on the internet. You're just here with the popcorn. Yes. Like, Ooh. All right. The last thing I wanted to touch on is... Finishing books. Mm. You may remember the first time we talked about this, I said I have a really hard time not finishing books. Mm -hmm. And I think I've gotten a lot better about that. I mean, accepting that I'm not going to finish every book, or at least I've reframed how I view it, because okay. there is no such thing as a universally good book. So if I'm having trouble getting through a book, it's easy to turn the blame towards me. Like, I'm too lazy to want to finish this, or I'm, yeah. you know, and so what? You maybe, didn't make this book. Maybe a book isn't for you, but it's for other people. Great. And so I'm starting to think of, like, when when I start reading a book and I just can't, like, I just don't care to continue, I'm viewing that as part of the process of getting to a book that I love. Hmm. It's almost like honing my internal algorithm where I can be like, what is it about this book that's not quite grabbing me? I don't love this. You only have one life. You only have so much time. And don't waste that time on William Styron. Sophie's choice. Sorry. Oh. I have feelings. And there's a podcast that I recently found that I think has helped me understand this it's called what should i read next and hmm. the whole premise of it is that there's this book expert who asks her guests to say what are three books you love and one that wasn't quite for you in that way she's able to kind of build a new reading list for them based on hmm. not just like i like these books but why do you like them or not like them uh. which is very different from a universalized 13. everyone needs to 13 can't miss sci-fi okay but why oh here's another thing i do it's kind of cheating if i've read most of a book i'll call that read <laughs> that is kind of cheating i mean 80 percent, not like 51 percent. okay but that you know that's especially good for nonfiction, where it is easier to skip around to the stuff that's more relevant and if I held myself to the standard of needing to read 100% of a book to consider it finished, then I would just not engage with it any further. Hmm. So I need to leave a little bit of that, a little bit of that flexibility for okay. myself. All right. Um, or, you know, 
all of the Ursula Le Guin I'm missing because I fall asleep. By the time you're done with that, I'm going to mark that as red. <laughs> yeah. Even though I may have only been conscious for like 35% of it. So how about you? How do you feel about not finishing books or finishing them? Or I try to be pretty picky about the books that I engage with. My narrow selection is kind of a, a, a part of that. But uh, there have been a couple of books that I've read in the last few years that I did not finish. Oh, there was one book that I started reading, and it didn't quite feel right. I got like a chapter or two in. Then I looked it up, and I realized it's a sequel. Oh, no! <laughs> so, plot points from the first book, mm -hmm. completely spoiled. Yep. I think it's fair to say that you are you maybe have a better sense of, yes, this is a book I'm going to like. Whereas I really have found enjoyment in dabbling. That's fine. I think freeing myself from this unreal expectation that I need to finish every book I start, that opens it up for me to be more adventurous in my selections because I know I'm not committing myself to something that I'm going to hate. There's an off-ramp. What else do you have to say? Yeah, I think in summary, the last thing we want is to induce pressure mm. on you, our dear listener. You've got enough internal pressures that you need to be cognizant of and try to dismantle them on your own, you know, like with the perceived what I should be doing, right. what I should be reading, how, when, how much, all of the... Right. All of the... You don't need the ghost of Laura Bush breathing down your neck. Nobody does. <laughs> is this George W. Bush's? Yes. Okay. She isn't dead yet. Okay, though, so she, she wouldn't be a ghost. <laughs> uh... Spectre? Yes, that's it. Moreover, if she said you should read it, you probably should not. I know. I mean, Reader's Digest was... It was still a dominant force. In my life. <laughs> yeah. I would guess that the tar I mean, our target audience is probably the type of person who has that internal pressure. Oh, I should read. Yeah. And there is a limited number of books you will be able to read in your lifetime. Some of those may be, like, challenging and rewarding in their own way, and others might be trashy murder books. And each has their place. I think the thing is, whatever you're doing takes some time to be intentional about it so that it is reflective of what you truly want versus, I don't know, who else? Who else is a good representation? Oh, yeah, the Moby Dick idiot on Twitter. <clears throat> I hope that this has not come across as prescriptive, but just these are things that people do that have helped them accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Any uh, closing remarks? Any season closing remarks? If you're still listening to us, good for you. Um, Benton's going to talk about recycling in the future. I don't think I can commit to regular publishing of TC Talk going forward. But I'm not ready to say goodbye fully. Don't unsubscribe, even though you, don't, you won't see us for a few months. Right. You may pop up now and again. We'll be back. Get to the chopper! Okay. Ah! Yeah!